Hi, this is Todd Hoffman from WSTR Galactic Public Access, and you're listening to the Jedi Temple Archives Star Wars podcast. Classes in session. Take it away, Rob. Welcome to episode 47 of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. There is more knowledge here than anywhere else in the galaxy. Only members of the Jedi Council are allowed access. Guarding the holocrons is one of the most important duties a Jedi can be given. Do you think you're up to the task? episode of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. I'm your host, Rob, and we are recording this episode on Tuesday, March 17th, 2020, St. Patrick's Day, although it certainly doesn't feel that way, I'm sure to many of you, uh, based on the ongoing health concerns out there in the environment. But hopefully we're going to be able to at least bring you some entertainment to take your mind off that. And uh, we are going to jump right into that with my guest, who we will get to right after a quick word from our new sponsor. Yeah, I'm married. Does it matter? You'd do that for me? Really? Yeah, I'd like that. Who are you talking to? It's Jar Jar from Otakunga Insurance. Yeah, it sounds like a really good deal. Jar Jar from Otagunga at three in the morning? Who is this? It's Jar Jar from Otagunga. What are you wearing, Jar Jar from Otagunga? Misa? Misa wearing some mooey bombad khakis. She sounds hideous. Well, she's a guy, and he's a Gungan, so... Like an annoying neighbor, Jar Jar is there. That's a me! Two-way insurance is not applicable when rebel vehicles are involved. Oh, woo! All right, so our special guest this week is Mr. Todd Hoffman from the WSTR Galactic Public Access uh, podcast. Todd, thank you so much for coming on to talk a little bit about the Knights of Ren with us. Thank you so much, Rob. I'm, I'm happy to do so. Yeah, and you did so on short notice. Uh, I kind of was thinking, normally when I like to do some of these episodes, if I've got a lot of sound clips that I can kind of break up the dialogue with, I'll go that route. But certainly for something like yeah. the Knights of Ren, we're kind of limited in terms of uh, a lot of dialogue. They just kind of walk around looking imposing. <laughs> they, they don't have any dialogue, Rob. Right. So... <laughs> Your episode would be really short. No, I seriously loved your Darth Maul episode last week. It was fantastic. Thanks. I appreciate it. I uh, I figured not only, uh, well, my wife was kind of pestering you to find out what what I was going to be putting on. Uh, and I kept telling her, I just, I, I now know it when I hear it, but I just haven't gotten there yet. And then I was thinking with the arc that we've got going in season seven of Clone Wars, um, you know, getting everyone up to speed on what we're about to enjoy here in the coming weeks would be a good idea. So I'm glad that was enjoyable. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yes. certainly. And I like that you have it at two parts. Yeah, so. exactly. Well, you know, in honor, in honor of Obi-Wan's uh, work there on Naboo. So yeah. <laughs> there you go. who'd have thought that half a guy could turn out to be uh, such an imposing villain still within so, Star Wars? 
<laughs> exactly. So, yeah. And so really, I mean, that kind of feeds into this week's episode, too, because when we talk about really imposing uh, characters within Star Wars that maybe did not have the screen time that we would have liked to see, I would say the Knights of Ren are another group of those characters. Uh, Certainly imposing group, um, very eclectic in terms of normally when we see people that are supposed darksiders, uh, you typically tend to see those lightsabers. Uh, showing up, but but with this group, you know, they've got a number of ranged and melee weapons. Uh, we get introduced to, to them a little bit within uh, the uh, the Force Awakens, really just kind of through that vision that Ray has, uh, and then nothing right. until the rise of Skywalker. So um, I don't know what right. were you were your expectations when we went into the Last Jedi that we were going to get to see a little bit more of them, or were you kind of not surprised to see that they went away from them? Yeah, I wasn't totally surprised that they went away with them because, again, that was was JJ's, you know, vision, I guess. And maybe um, since they were only in that little kind of flashback Jedi vision, you didn't really know where to go. So I wasn't like too hung up on Last Jedi. I really was expecting a lot more from them in The Rise of Skywalker, honestly. So Last Jedi, I was thinking I, I was at even hypothesizing oh this is gonna happen i really didn't see that play out in my head at least in the last jedi i didn't think i didn't think it was going to be because of ryan yeah yep and again i i've talked a little bit about this with uh some other podcasters on some other shows that we've done and you know certainly the fact that um with the pre- the sequel trilogy, the storyline was a little more disjointed because there wasn't really kind of that unified vision, I guess, despite the fact that they used different directors. And certainly we had that happen within the original trilogy. Um, you know, George was driving the story, but he had different directors kind of, um, you know, telling that story for him. So certainly that can be done, but uh, maybe in the sequel trilogy, yeah. it, it didn't get executed quite that way. So take that for what it's worth, but... We- well, <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, I think with JJ, I mean, he had the opportunity, even if Ryan did use them a little bit in The Last Jedi. I mean, it's only name dropped, you know, in yeah. The Last Jedi. Um, but you have an opportunity to really kind of show them in The Rise of Skywalker. And he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> it's swing and a miss we we got more but uh certainly still not enough right stomping around looking imposing (laughs) as you said i won my my one sound bite was gonna be uh knights of ren ghouls (laughs) even you the leader of the knights of ren you know um here's my deal here here's the deal you had an opportunity to when they capture chewy right Mm -hmm. they're on pasana they didn't show that. Right. They, they just chew, uh, Chewie just went out as a punk and just uh, got handcuffed. Like they couldn't show anything them like getting the jump on Chewie. Right. Um, so I was like, oh, come on, man. You know, they have the great like aerial shot of them on the plateau mm-hmm. looking around Pasana. <laughs> you're like, things, things are going to happen here. And they see him. They show the shot, you know, behind Behind them, you know, looking at Chewie, you're like, oh, they're going to get the jump on Chewie. And then they just show him loading the transport. I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> We're not actually you know? going to get to see it. No. I, and I, I wish they would have at least name dropped the name of the, the ship that the Knights of Ren travel around on because they have got such a great name for that ship. It's the uh, the Night Buzzard. 
Yeah, and it smokes. Yeah. It's like this dirty... I, I love the shot of them kind of flying towards the steadfast, you yeah. know, and it's got like this smoky, chuggy thing. And obviously you literally have to read the read the visual dictionary to find out, you know, they're right. overcompensating, uh, overcompensating some capacitors and it's making <laughs> it real dirty. And you're like, OK, I can get into this. Yeah. You know, I'm down with this, but it's not explained in the movie. So, you know, there's. As from a Star Wars perspective, you know this, Rob. It's yeah. like you, you, you're 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 stuck in between. Like you don't want to be over explained things, mm -hmm. and then there's some things that are not really explained, and so that gives us uh, ammo to theorize and talk about and do all those fun things that we love to do as Star Wars fans. So you kind of want to be just in the middle, like yeah. not too heavy exposition, but just enough to kind of steer the ship if you will you know in the right direction and unfortunately with this subject my friend the knights of ren are just not <laughs> they, they are definitely not, <laughs> not fleshed out and they're not fleshed out at all yeah and again i mean so i i would draw a parallel between the knights of ren and the inquisitors uh we do get to see more of the inquisitors uh and we've talked about them in past episodes we get to see them more uh especially within uh star wars rebels um, so you get a little bit more background. We got even more information from uh, about the Inquisitors within uh, the video game Jedi Fallen Order, if you've played that. Uh, so there's, right. yep. yeah, there's certainly information out there um, to, be, to be obtained. But much like the Knights of Ren, um, what we're going to be talking about in this episode, and we'll kind of go into some details, it sounds like we have a good balance because it looks like you've got more experience with the Star Wars Visual Dictionary for uh, the Rise of Skywalker, which I have, I have spent less time looking at. Uh, uh, I have sure. gone through yeah. the Kylo Ren comics and, and, um, all right. Yeah. So, so we can cover it from dude, both sides. We're, we're, we are a dyad. <laughs> there we go. We, go. we are it. a dyad in the podcast. All right. right. <laughs> so the origin of the Knights of Ren. So this is kind of one of the big questions that we get left with, especially, you know, after that, uh, that statement that you gave earlier from Snoke about, you know, even you master of the Knights of Ren have never faced such a challenge. Uh, you know, who are the Knights of Ren? What is what is the significance of this Ren? And what we find out within the comics, and again, warning for anyone who has not read them and wants to, perhaps this is not yes. the episode. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert. <laughs> for sure. But uh, actually, there is a character named Ren, and he refers to his lightsaber. He has a, a red-bladed lightsaber, uh, and that is the Ren um, of their philosophy. And so the Knights of Ren's approach to things is to kind of approach it as a lightsaber would. It is just raw power. It does not care what it cuts. It just burns through the things that, that it is pointed at. And in very much that way, uh, they are a group of darksiders, not Jedi, not Sith. Uh, and they just kind of feel like their power justifies them going about and taking what they will um, and dominating right. people who cannot defend themselves from them. And that is really the group that Kylo, uh, over the series of this, the series of Kylo Ren comics, uh, comes to become the master of. So really an interesting journey, and, and we'll get into that more in a little bit. Um, as we mentioned, they have this uh, awesome oubliette uh, class transport named the Night Buzzard, which was a former dungeon ship that they kind of uh, customized for their own needs. So just and dark and awesome. It's actually dark and awesome, and it looks fantastic. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think there's some significance. You know, you even look at the uh, the the Jets off the back of that. You know, that red glow that they gave off, uh, very much like the red bladed lightsaber. So uh, certainly a theme there. We'll get into in a little bit the repairs on Kylo's helmet and the fact that that red uh, metal was used to fill those cracks. So this black and red theme really plays strongly through their entire theme. Yes. So from the standpoint yeah. of the visual dictionary, what kind of information does that give out um, regarding the Knights of Ren? Does it go into them individually or? Okay, so if you want to know more about the Knights of Ren, you, you basically said it. you got to read the comics and then you have to get the visual dictionary because it has four pages of Knights of Ren. <laughs> and so it, it goes, it, it basically does every character profile to do what their specialty is how what's the significance of them you know their talents mm -hmm. and then it really goes into detail about their weapon and this is where i feel um is a huge miss with the rise of skywalker yeah because you have an opportunity not only that we just talked about like them fighting chewy like how did they get a whole you know of the mighty I mean, come on. We saw Return of Jedi, you know. Chewbacca can hold his own, man. Right. So just be, you know, did they, what did they, how did they capture him? You know, and, and that was a mess. But the real opportunity, obviously, is when um, Ben Solo is ready to meet up with Ray at Exegol. And they're right there. Yeah. And they have an opportunity to, similar to, I would say, just like, it's like in Last Jedi with the uh, Batarian guards, right? Mm -hmm. They all, even though they're all these red dudes, you know, they all have different weapons and they highlight them in the fight, right? Right. So you see, oh, this is the guy with the, the Sith and the, you know, then this is the guy with the nunchuck blades and, you know, they all have kind of like these little, I would say, hero spots in, sure. the, in the fight. So you see, oh, okay, I know this guy, I know what this guy does, you know, that kind of thing. And so since the Knights of Ren are pretty much all in black and they all wear masks, what separates them is obviously the different style of the mask and the weapons they use, right? And we don't get to see any of that <laughs> in that fight. Kyle Ren, you know, Ben Solo shrugs like Han Solo, and then he takes them out. And yeah. you don't have an opportunity to at least... Um, show what they can do because again uh, you know, the behind the scenes these all the all these guys are stunt guys like these are right. top notch stunt guys right yep and you know well unless there was that guy in the podcast that said he was the knights of Ren, but, you know <laughs> that's not um these guys are stunt guys they're highly trained they could do some cool stuff and we don't get to see any of the cool stuff yeah so we've got we've got six so, knights yeah. of Ren aside from Kylo Ren, and their names are Vicrul. Vicrul yeah. is the the guy that's on the cover of the visual dictionary. He's got the big like scythe blade, yeah, yeah. like a thick scythe blade or something yeah. like that. So. So yeah, go on. Sorry. No, no. I mean, I, and again, they are all so visually distinctive. Um, I'm just going to go through here real quick. We'll read the names of the six uh, Knights of Ren aside from Kylo Ren, and then we'll get a little bit more into, uh, you know, talking about what the differences were between them. So Vicrul, Cardo, Ushar, Trudgeon, Kuruk, 
and Aplek were the six. And then initially we had Ren, who was the seventh, thus the master of the Knights of Ren. Uh, he named this group right, after yeah. himself. Um, but you'll notice that he is no longer around when Kylo Ren uh, has taken over the mantle. So we'll get into a little bit of that story in a few. But as we kind of go through... Uh, before we get into to talking in detail about each one, it, it bears mentioning that, again, they were dark side users, uh, but they were very much untrained in um, the use of the dark side. So most of their power was just really raw power. Um, it was reasonably easy for a trained Jedi or a trained Sith to take on multiple members of this group. Uh, but kind of how they would go about building their numbers is first and foremost, you had to have access to what they called the shadow, the dark side. Uh, and then you had to make what they called a, a good kill or a sacrifice. Uh, so there was a story within the comics where they met two brothers, one of whom was uh, force sensitive. And uh, he said that he would be interested in joining them, but they said, you know, you need to make a good kill. And the, mm -hmm. you know, the, uh, it is implied that the two brothers were going to have to basically fight it out while the non force sensitive brother shot <laughs> his force sensitive brother and said, all right, I'm ready, let's go. And they ended up having to kill him because he wasn't force sensitive. So very selective in terms of who they would take on. Uh, but again, very much they were looking for people who were, who were kind of incentivized to their lifestyle of chaos uh, and just kind of sowing discord in service to the shadow. Yeah, I would say um, also this is, uh, I believe Pablo wrote this. So here's a little fact file thing that they has on the Knights Run from the Visual Dictionary. It just basically says the Knights are force sensitive, uh, but for a stunted degree in past generations, they would have been perfect stock to become Imperial Inquisitors. Yeah. They could be tamed. So it just, you know, they're kind of like feral, dark dark side users mm -hmm. um, and they have the leader and that leader is now when we meet them is Kylo Ren. I think a big thing, you know, the big theory was that these were fallen Jedi, you know, based on what we know in, in the force awakens, we kind of had this, you know, the theory was they're fallen Jedi or they were, you know, students taken from the Jedi Academy that he burnt down, sure. you know, Luke and stuff like that. But it, it turns out, no, that's not the case. They are, strictly dark side users they're just not really trained you know in, in the force but they are force sensitive yeah yeah and so now kind of as we get into each of the each of these members of the knights of ren so as you were kind of talking about vic rule um he called himself the harvester uh, that's kind of how he saw himself uh, reaper of the fallen which very much goes hand in hand yes. with that scythe weapon that you're talking about um and basically as he would kill more and more people that murder would then fuel his power in the dark side but like all of his brethren the fact that they were not truly trained in the dark side to any great extent really was was their major weakness um now this particular character like you said he was right on the cover of the visual dictionary he's the one that most people are going to be yeah. uh you know familiar with first and foremost uh but certainly yeah. you know uh, as the face of the knights of ren in the visual dictionary uh very imposing um as you can see they all have that black armor they have a great character look all of them yeah. have a great character look and they all have just slightly differences that 
you know that they're distinct because by their weapon and the, what they're wearing, but at the same time, because they're all black, they're in helmets, you know they're a group, a posse, you right. know, and you don't want to mess with them. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Um, so then we've got Cardo. Um, and what, what does the visual dictionary tell about Cardo? Cardo, um, he has uh, a vented, these, these are great. I love these descriptions. Uh, <laughs> a vented plasma bolt launcher and has limited ammunition, but explosive charges over 200 meters. There so basically he's the gunslinger of the group. Um, you know, he has, in fact, he has like concussion grenades, like on the top of his chest. He has big plasma bolt shells that are, you can see uh, on the middle of his like belt buckle. And then he's got really like a hand gauntlet and then an actual gun. And yeah. so it's, pretty impressive i mean he looks very cool again like a, a short trench coat that almost has kind of that darth vader kind of ribbing you mm -hmm. know like you the undersuit of darth vader that's that's his coat it's kind of that ribbing so uh again and he doesn't his helmet is really just as simple as like a helmet with like a little like eye slot you know very yeah. very simple he doesn't have a very complex helmet uh, but Again, he's the kind of the gunslinger of the group. Yeah, it's interesting too that that uh, weapon that he uses, that cannon that he uses, basically encases his whole arm. It looks like his arm kind of sits inside that weapon. Yeah, it goes on further. It says Cardo's obsession with weapon modification makes him the best armor of the knights, and he also carries a compact, expedient, blaster pistol because oh, nice. you need to be expedient, right? <laughs> right. You got, you got to have that holdout blaster just in case your entire arm cannon right, right. lets you down. Um, and interesting. Right, the, yeah, the arm cannon's not working. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting too, because the, the one thing about the Knights of Ren, and you'll kind of see this as we go through it, is that um, there are certain things that Force users and, and Jedi in particular would have difficulty with, which is why Boba Fett was such an effective hunter and why the Jedi had so many problems with yes. the Mandalorians. I mean, uh, there were things that they were susceptible to. Explosions were difficult to block with the Force, unless you're Kanan Jarrus. Um, you know, so to have something that can, uh, you know, strike from a distance of 200 meters, cause explosions, um, flamethrowers, things of that nature were something that you couldn't block with a lightsaber. Uh, and so the variety of weapons that this group uses, you could see Jedi having problems with that or certainly Sith as well. Right, exactly. I mean, it, it's kind of that wolf pack mentality when you get to that, if you're saying that they're dark side and they're feral. I mean, they're they're out for the hunt. That's their that's what feeds them. That's what you know, very kind of um, Troshendin. You know, yeah. like they they're 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 part of that hunt in yeah. that group. And again, no matter who they're running into, because they have somewhat force sensitive and they are formidable fighters, that's a great combination. Very similar to, like you said, kind of Mandalorian, where the Mandalorian what makes them unique is that. Their armor's theirs, and they specially modify it to them and their individual needs. Yeah. And you see that same kind of play out with the Knights of Red. Yep, totally. All right, so moving on to the next uh, member of the Knights of Ren, we've got Trudgeon, who was uh, basically a collector of trophies from his conquests, um, and then he would in incorporate those trophies into his armor, his weapons, equipment, etc. He even had a piece of Death Trooper armor uh, as part of his kit, I believe. Um, anything else interesting that the, the visual dictionary would tell us about him? 
Um, his helmet's kind of unique. It's very, this is very kind of Shogun warrior. Yeah. If you, you know, like a kind of blanket thing. Uh, it, it basically, uh, it, this is what it says is, is his patchwork helmet indicates he defeated a death trooper at some point in the past a remarkable achievement, giving the strength and rarity. Mm-hmm. Um, he, his signature weapon is an enormous viral bra- viral cleaver. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> this one's just a meat cleaver. Yeah. I mean, he, he looks like a butcher and yep. it's a butcher with like a kind of kabuki kind of mask, you know, um, that is obviously taken from a death trooper. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they, again, more, this is definitely, he, he has that kind of shogun warrior look. Yeah. Yeah. He's the one that's, yeah, I, I can picture that mask. Um, even as you talk about it. And certainly, you know, that, that weapon that he's carrying is kind of like half machete, half cleaver. Um, one of the advantages of the vibro weapons was typically that you could actually fight a lightsaber wielder with a vibro weapon um, without it just being sliced mm. in half. So there was uh, an advantage there. Uh, again, uh, you don't find a whole lot of lightsabers amongst this group with the exception of Ren. Uh, himself. Um, yeah. But it, despite that, you know, again, they're force sensitive uh, and against the uninitiated or people without that ability, uh, they were going to pretty much mow through anyone they came up against. These guys are like a bad biker. Club. <laughs> Actually, I think that was one of the things that they said that they were modeled after was uh, there were a lot yeah. of a lot of the spaghetti Western, a lot of the, the samurai uh, influences, but certainly you know, a bad biker gang was kind of part of the mindset. How how cool would it have been, Rob, if they're on Pasana, right? And they just they drop in their like custom speeder bikes. Yeah. And just like hit Pasana. You know, like the same kind of visual feel you get with uh Kylo Ren's tie silencer with whisper, whatever it's called yeah. now, you know, flying very low. You have that kind of same feel. They come in on the night buzzard, then they they drop their, their swoop bikes or whatever and they just hit Pasana would have been visually just as cool and they could have still had ray and the group get away by kind of going through the sinking fields right and the knights of ren are kind of wandering around going well i guess they're dead you know well you could even you can have your fly now moment with the tread speeder and the and the and the the, the imperial you know side or first order side of it but then who gets the jump is the nice run because they got these hooped up swoop bikes or speeder bikes and they just get right to the chase, you yeah. know? And I think that would have been it. Again, you're trying to set that they, they are visually apart from a storytelling perspective, but now you're driving that home with, you know, though they could actually do something, right. you know, and not again, these kind of trophy, trophy boys. In no, sense, you know? ghouls. They're ghouls. Ghouls. <laughs> They're ghouls. Ghouls. That's it. All right, our next night of run, we've got uh, Ushar, who this guy was a real piece of work. Um, he was one who would force his prisoners to grovel for mercy. Um, and then anyone who pleaded for mercy, he would kill them slowly, uh, while anyone who fought hmm. back against him, he would actually kill more quickly uh, because they had earned his respect. So uh, kind of had a twisted code, uh, but a code nonetheless. Um what do we uh, what do we find out about Ushar in the Visual Dictionary? There's a lot of big words here, Rob, and I don't know if I can I, get them out I correctly because it's Star Wars, right? <laughs> so first of all, what what makes him cool is he kind of has a very similar mask. To, I would say kind of to like Kylo Ren. It's cracked. 
Um, he has breathing tubes um, and anti-ox filter suggesting non-human origin. Yeah. So it's hinting that, that he's an alien, which is yeah. great. Uh, he's got thermal, de thermal detonators on his bandolier, which makes him cool already. He has this thing that I, it's almost like a club, right? And, yeah, the um, war club. It basically says, right, yeah, Ushar's signature weapon is a war club with a blunt, heavy end that helps drive kinetic energy to a concussion-held generator. I, I want to see that in action, Rob. Right. What does that look like? Right. You know, so it's it's basically um, a very cool kind of primitive weapon with like a war hammer in a sense, mm -hmm. but then it's got that little part where it sounds like, hey, I, if I hit you, then I can also hit you with this kind of concussion blast. Sounds pretty amazing. Yeah. Not only can I not only can I slam yeah. this into you, but I can somehow augment it with that concussion generator. That would be yeah, that'd be pretty messed up to see. It sounds like yeah. you could smash through some stuff yeah. pretty quickly. To the point about the anti-ox breath mask, that's important uh, because the character that I think most people would be familiar with in watching maybe Clone Wars or uh, the prequel trilogy would be Plo Koon because he wore that same type of anti-ox yep. breath mask, uh, and he was a Keldor, yep. so. I'm not saying they're the same species, but, um, you know, certainly uh, that that mask was kind of the opposite of what an oxygen mask would be. It actually would strip the oxygen uh, to make the right. gases breathable for them. So that is uh, it's kind of a cool piece of equipment and uh, certainly something unique. He also has, um, unlike the other guys that kind of have that Matrix trench coat thing going yeah, on, yeah. they have, uh, yeah, he has more of, actually more like an Anakin underneath Jedi robe. So it's like a short tunic kind of vest thing going on with his belt and bandolier. Yep. So it very much looks like a traditional like Jedi attire without the robe in a sense. Yeah, that's very cool. Um, and actually, it's uh, it's interesting that you note that because when Kylo Ren actually finally joins the Knights of Ren, not as their master, but just as a member, they're kind of giving him a trial run. Uh, he ends up in an outfit that sounds very similar to that, um, very much kind of a, a black kind of the, the tunic and pants that were similar to something a Jedi might wear when they're kind of out in the field. No robe. Um, interestingly enough, he kind of had this uh, this this holder on his back for his lightsaber hilt. So it was kind of slung up over his shoulder, okay. uh, which was a really cool look as well. That's awesome. Yeah. Yep. All right. So the next night that we get to is Kuruk and he was a pretty solitary individual. He was their rifleman. Um, and also the pilot of their ship, the Night Buzzard. So uh, he was kind of their uh, sniper, uh, high precision, uh, kind of would take that high vantage point and, and cover the assault of his fellow knights. Um, so I'm guessing that, that his look within the visual dictionary is uh, kind of accentuated to that kind of a role within the group. Yeah, I mean, again, he has kind of like, binders on his helmet that that's what's kind of sets sets him apart yeah. is he has these kind of blinders uh blinders on his helmet uh and what this says in the visual dictionary is that again he is uh he's a precision marksman mm -hmm. and then the blinder flaps on his helmet focuses attention on his targets and his aim is further sharpened by concentrating on the force. Well, there you go. So, He's actually using you know, it for something. Yeah, so yeah, he basically has a very cool blaster pistol, so similar to 
Ricardo, which has that blaster cannon. Yeah. He has a customized. Um, this is called a four. Let's see. What I don't even know what that weapon is called, but it, it's it's pretty impressive. Man. Yeah. So. And now we've kind of got the clone trooper equivalent of his character uh, within season seven of the Clone Wars as well. So. Oh yeah, and, with sharpshooter. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Crosshair. Yeah. Crosshair. Yeah. Yep. Crosshair. Awesome. So that brings us to our final member of the actual knights proper, um, other than Ren himself, uh, and that's Aplek. Uh, and this was their kind of strategist. Um, he was the, where the other knights would kind of prefer just kind of a blunt force attack. He was the one that would uh, counsel them to employ some sort of strategy and thus kind of uh, further make their their attack that much more effective. Um, he was able to see through smoke screens and uh, do things to to disrupt sensors. Uh, and he was the one that actually carried uh, ancient Mandalorian executioner's vibro axe. So uh, again, when we were talking about kind of the tie into the Mandalorians, uh, this guy took that one step further by actually carrying an ancient Mandalorian weapon. Yes, this is the one that you see in Solo. Um, it's and. I think he's one of the, uh, I mean, all of them got action figures, but I think he was the first one to kind of get an action figure. Um, he's kind of, he, he kind of has that death look, you know, um, with the mask, uh, again, patchwork mask cobbled together armor is the description. And so it's not even like a full mask. It's got like a hole in the front. I mean, yeah. it's like kind of patchwork. Um, the really cool thing that's kind of sets him apart is his gauntlets. Uh, it says in a visual dictionary, raised teeth to assist in parrying and pinning edged attacks. And he also has the same kind of feel raised teeth um, on his like on his arm, like a shin guard yeah. type, you know, um, armor knee pad type thing. So he's, you know, and he's got a smoke canister. I mean, right. so cool. He's you know, a fan. So, of, he's clearly uh, a fan yeah. of Mad Max. <laughs> Right, exactly. <laughs> and these two, so it's um, uh, our first, Karakar, Karakar, and this guy are the two guys that are looking at Chewie when he Chewie's looking for Ray yep. um, in Pasana. And they, they kind of, that's the shot where he kind of, it kind of pans around and he's holding that, that viral blade you know, um, uh, solo, the, the, you know, so. Um, you you could see they're like oh cool those guys are cool looking so and it actually kind of fits into what happened within the story a little bit because as we just talked about if there were two characters who were not going to just undertake a full frontal assault on Chewbacca it would have been these two uh, you've got the kind of the sharpshooter True. character um, and then you've got uh, uh, Applek, who is going to be kind of more the strategist. So that would explain how mm -hmm. maybe he had come up with some sort of plan to allow them to capture Chewbacca uh, without there being a big physical confrontation. Um, again, I would have loved to see how that played out, but... Uh, just just swing just swing the Mandalorian axe. That's all we need to see. Exactly. You know, like, like um, similar, similar to, you know... Um, okay. You know, when Luke... Luke is looking for his beloved blue R2 droid mm -hmm. and, you know, the Tusken Raider comes up right in his face and mm -hmm. he's trying to hit him with the gaff stick. And you're like, oh, this is kind of dangerous. Yeah. Like, I'd love to see the Mandalorian, you know, like trying to attack Chewie and he swings it and like splits a rock or you yeah. know, makes some 
some kind of dent in the the ground, something that's like, ooh, this is like this could kill Chewy, Chewy, you know, before Ray blows him up. But you know what I'm saying? Like, could <laughs> kill Chewy um, because you want to, you know, you want to build that tension. You like, right. you feel like Chewy, you know, like even if he punked out, um, like what the other the sharpshooter guy Kurik, you know, this this other the other Knights of Ren has this cool vi- Mandalorian vibo blade. And boom, he's he almost gets him, and you're right. like, oh, okay. Or you know, like actually wounds Chewie, mm-hmm. you know, cuts him in the arm, that kind of thing. So, and we know how big a baby Chewie can be if he gets a, a slight little wound on he the is. arm, right? Yeah, the other interesting yes. thing, the other interesting thing about what you were talking about is that scene with the gaffy stick from the original Star Wars film. The reason that came off as being so frightening was because it really was for Mark Hamill. Uh, the stunt coordinator that was actually playing the Tuscan Raider basically couldn't see. I'm sure you know this, uh, but you know, just for the folks listening, he really couldn't see. So Mark Hamill's rolling around on the ground trying to avoid these blows, and the guy couldn't really tell what he was hitting. So uh, that fear was real, um, and I think that really came off in in the film. So I don't know that we'll ever get anything that genuine ever again, uh, given the advances and all the costuming. <laughs> right. I mean, I, if you cosplay as a Tuscan Raider too, you can't see. Oh, yeah, I have no it's doubt. Very hard to see. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I wanted to find out. Uh, you know, the Jawa co- cosplay. I've got to believe it's a loose, at least a little bit better, right? The yeah. deep hood, though. Yes. It, it, there's a lot of blind spots there, but. So yeah, right. <laughs> prior to Kylo taking over the group, the final night that was a part of this group, and really the 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 one that took on the name Ren himself uh, was Ren. Um, and he was, it was interesting because he was kind of the spokesman. Uh, he was the one that would introduce the other knights to whoever they confronted, be it for a friend or foe. And he was the one who was the true believer in this concept of the Ren of, of, you know, them basically epitomizing a lightsaber blade and uh, just really kind of being all about power and, and brute force. Um, and he was the one who, who ultimately in the comic series uh, was aligned with Snoke um, and basically was going to be the one to give Ben Solo, uh, who had just uh, pulled down the Jedi Temple, burned it, uh, was kind of on the run from three other uh, Jedi apprentices who were trying to track him down, who were, one of whom was a friend of his, the other two kind of were uh, just hoping to bring him back. But uh, he was... He was willing to give Ben Solo a try on Snoke's say-so, but by the same token uh, had his doubts about whether uh, Ben Solo had it in him to to really be a member of that group. He felt like he needed to make that, that, uh, that sacrifice or that good kill, as he called it. Um, and really that is uh, what the story of those comics centers around. Um, do they really talk about him? I, I wouldn't think they would in the visual dictionary as much because he really wasn't a part of that group that we saw within the film itself. Right. The visual dictionary is just saying, you know, uh, Supreme Leader Kylo Ren looks to the Knights of Ren as his own equivalent to Snoke's Praetorian Guards. Um, Only Kylo Ren can command the Knights, much to the displeasure of the First Order Supreme Council. You know, sure. Um, And uh, that makes sense. It's like it's it's, they're his war dogs or it's the wolf pack. It's the whole like what we talked before. It's like he could only control and tame these wild animals in a sense, Yeah. you know, and I just started, um, I just started, uh, the, you know, uh, the audible book for mm-hmm. rise of Skywalker came out today as did I, um, yeah. as is recording. 
yeah, yep. And so there's they're entering the the room, um, uh, the boardroom, or the you know for for the little meeting when they have like we have a spy and then you yeah. know Julio's head gets dropped right? on the table. Julio had <laughs> Julio had win the war. Um, and there there there's a comment in there that, that because the first order is so pristine and precise and clean and these guys are drugging in mud and space dirt and you know it's just like they're just untamed animals and they're not like in they're they're totally opposite of like this controlled you know uh military of the first order right. you know so well, and we, I like that. We clearly see that they, uh, they're they generally not big fans of having a plan. I mean, they've, they've got one amongst them who's willing to do it, but the rest of them would just as soon just walk in and just start laying waste to everything that they see. So uh, not highly compatible yeah, with the First I'm, Order. I'm pretty sure the storm sh- Stormtrooper says those guys are cool. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> oh, instead of ghouls? When they walk by, yeah. I think. I think so. <laughs> Knights of Ren, cool. Or the, cool. Those guys are ghouls. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's that's uh, Todd's hot take. Todd's hot take on, uh, <laughs> on we're going to be watching Rise of Skywalker with uh, subtitles on this week to to check that out. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. I like let, it. Let, let me know if I'm right or not. But I, 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 in my head canon, when they walk by, the guy's like, those guys are cool. Of course, of course. <laughs> he wants to be let off the chain as well, right? So, um, right. And, and very much the, the kind of the other part of that is that, as we said, I mean, they only respect people who have control of the shadow or the dark side of the forces, they call it. And certainly yeah. no one in that first order boardroom was going to have that. Uh, so they weren't going to respect any of them. You know, they're, they're just taking, taking leaders from the, or taking orders from the, the head of the wolf pack, as you call it. So I think exactly. that is an excellent, excellent. Exactly. Excellent. And, and I hadn't really thought about it that, that they are really the, the kind of Kylo Ren version of the Praetorian Guard that, that Snoke had had access to. So um, that's a great parallel as well. So there is one, yeah. O- yeah, one other member of their little fold, and that is another character that we get to see within the Rise of Skywalker, who is Albrecht, who's kind of their Sith alchemist and metalsmith and um, kind of acts as the armor for the group. And he's the one... Um, I believe that the the actual name that they give that metal that he puts into Kylo Ren's helmet is Serassian Iron, um, but he was actually using uh, Sith Forge and some Sith mm-hmm. Alchemy to to work those pieces back together. Um, and I know that he looks very much like a chimpanzee, I, I, right? Well, no, he he's kind of has that Wizard of Oz kind of yeah. monkey. Thing yeah, going yeah. There. It was yeah, funny because yeah. when I saw him, I'm like, it's interesting because in Return of the Jedi, to to make uh, Palpatine, they took. Um, and I can't remember the name of the actor. Yeah. But then they put chimp eyes on it. And in this one, it's like all the rest of the chimp and the eyes are covered up. So it was, uh, yeah, it was kind of like using the leftover parts that didn't get used in return of the Jedi, but, um, he's a Simeon male. So that is a new species that we have not heard before. Um, it's interesting. He kind of has a device on his, on his, uh, outfit that looks a lot like one of the, um, one of the beacons from the Mandalorian. <laughs> so maybe he was chasing down it a does. bounty. Yeah. But definitely a cool character. Um, apparently those ears that he had were useful because he could actually hear the temperature of the metal that he was working. 
uh, which I guess would come in really handy when you're when you're repairing things with a Sith Forge. So, absolutely, and I, you know what? What I love about it too, it kind of fits in right with the Knights Ren because again, they're kind of almost like uh, again, if you're taking the biker gang chop shop, they're putting things together. They're highly modifying their weapons in that. You know, you have this busted up helmet of Kylo Ren and you have a little Sith magic, Sith alchemy uh, forged into and you got that. I got that the red crackle. I mean, yeah, and it's put together. It's kind of hobbled together. Uh, it, it fits perfectly, not only with the story, but also with with this group, you know, so. Yeah. And it's kind of and unfortunately, it's one of those things that gets lost that you don't really get that context within the film. I didn't realize that that was a quote unquote Sith forge and that Sith alchemy was being used in the repair of that helmet. I mean, it looked like just kind of a, a straight repair job, um, but it adds that extra layer to it when you kind of get this extra information. And, and again, to me, that's an extra five seconds. Yeah. You know, like 10 seconds. So like you don't have to again, the, the kind of goes back to that. What I was saying earlier, you don't need heavy exposition, but if you if you can see that he's doing something different than just welding a mask together, you know, like there's something unique about his skills and why. I mean, you you got the idea that, OK, he's on Exegol and he's a Sith guy. Right. But right. like if you just saw a little bit more of what he was doing or, you know, get into that Sith alchemy that might not, you know, yeah. I don't know. It you know, takes a blood of some kind of creature, or whatever, whatever exactly. that is. The blood you know, of a unicorn, like, kind of, you know, <laughs> kind of, kind of sim similar to, um, you know, like the Night Sisters. You're like, yeah, they're something, they're doing something weird here, and it's a little off base, and you don't really get that. It just seems very practical. The guy's welding, boom, boom, boom. Here's it's right. a monkey dude again. This from a trailer, you know, when you're, uh, you know, do do some heavy trailer. These are the furry hands. You're like, right. some furry hands are touching Kylo's mask, you know. Um, so, um, yeah, it just would be kind of cool. Ten more seconds. Like, yeah. give me something a little bit more that makes that guy special. Yeah. You know? I think the the difficulty they were having is the Knights weren't really portrayed as a super chatty group. So the question is, how do you bring that into the, into the scene? But I'm sure with a little bit of thought, they could have come up with something that would have worked. Um, so when, now that we've kind of talked about all the different members of, of the Knights of Ren, it's interesting to note that, uh, and I'm not going to go into the full story of the Kylo Ren comics other than to say that, uh, that the Knights of Ren do actually have a showdown with Luke Skywalker and Ben Solo when he is younger and, and still, uh, Luke's apprentice, as well as Lor Santeca. um, who are kind of traveling around trying to find, uh, these, these, ancient Jedi relics, right? Yeah. They these Jedi enclaves that may contain Jedi relics and they end up coming to one on a, on a planet. Um, they find this trove of these Jedi, Jedi relics and they also run into the Knights of Ren. So it's interesting because you see Ren, you know, he kind of introduces the gang and he's very cocky, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna just take you guys out. It's going to be no big deal. Well, other than Ben Solo protecting Laura Santeca, Luke Skywalker fends off the entire group of the Knights of Ren um, pretty easily, uh, which is very much in line with what we see with Ben Solo once he's kind of uh, redeemed, been redeemed within the Rise of Skywalker. It just went to show that um, a really well-trained Force user could easily stand up against this group uh, despite the fact that they were so imposing to non-Force users. And, uh, of course, Luke was very, very much about kind of letting them live. 
Uh, he wasn't about taking them out and, and giving them a chance to kind of correct their ways. Whereas Kylo, um, when he had become Ben Solo again, certainly he was not in a position to, to really leave any of them alive behind. Um, but, you know, when, when you look yeah. at that group... A again, we, we have... I was just going to say... Yeah, I, go ahead. We have, a, we have an opportunity also in Jimmy to... You know, they're doing a search and destroy, you know, going house to house. Yeah. And we don't even see them rough up anybody. <laughs> you know, like they just follow, you know, they're following Kylo behind, you know, you get that kind of group feel like, oh, okay, they're going to mess people up. Right. And you see the First Order kind of going door to door, you know, when they sneak into the place, when the, uh, you know, our little uh, Alliant rebels sneak into the place, you know, uh, to get see-through girl crack you know cracked it's, it's code crack but right. um they have an opportunity even there to show show their skill set or at least just show that they don't mess around yeah. you know um and because we already get that with the first order but we don't really again we don't establish this kind of biker gang muscle behind kylo he, i mean he points them like search search again and that's where you have an opportunity again 30 seconds a yeah. minute just roughing up some aliens i don't care you know it just it, it would impose again why they're there and why they're important to kylo and yeah. to the to the sense that again they're the his wolf pack that's yeah. what they do they're going to attack and whatever he says we're going to do i'm going to be very interested kind of as time goes on and more becomes known about the making and the editing and all the things that were going on behind the scenes before this film got released because there are certainly stories out there that J.J. was surprised when he saw uh, the film, the actual final cut of the film in theaters. Um, there's talk that, you know, some of the things that he had done may have been trimmed out or, or tweaked um, to maybe uh, create a better fan reaction to the film, uh, you know, based on some of the <clears throat> some of the previews, the early previews that they had done for certain focus groups. And I'll be very interested to hear if there was more of this type of thing that was uh, originally in the film, because certainly one of the reasons I wanted to listen to the audiobook, the full unabridged version, uh, when it came out today was because it's, uh, there's a sense that there were some kind of gaps in the film itself that it sounds like from those who have read the book, a lot of that stuff gets addressed a little bit more thoroughly and I'll be very interested to hear uh, how much more fleshed out some of these characters and some of these scenes are when you see the full picture. Um, and to find out if some of that stuff did get pulled out, uh, maybe because whoever was doing that final edit didn't think it was necessary. But uh, to those of us right. who, who really kind of look at it a little bit more deeply, it's going to give us the perspective that we thought was missing. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, 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 unfortunately, Rob, I don't think we're going to see that. Yeah. I, I just um, I hope I, I want like 10, 10, 15 years from now, just like a tell out book. Just right. give it just give it to me. Um, the fact that to me that the Rise of Skywalker has no difference is like a total mess. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have this campaign it's like two weeks after, um, the, you know, the movie comes out, released the JJ cut and. You know, I kind of believed that. I was like, oh, there's yeah. a JJ cut. I want to see that. They're yeah. going to release that, you know, end of January. And then that fizzled and never went anywhere. And it's like, I don't think we're ever similar to what happened with Rogue One. 
we're never going to see that Gareth cut. Yeah. We're never going to see that, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and here, we're never going to see – we're just not going to see it. We're just never yeah. going to see that JJ cut, and we're, we're not going to see those deleted scenes. And maybe <sighs> maybe in some future future box set, you know, like well, similar to, you know, when the, the Blu-ray came out and we got to see, like, Luke Saber – or Luke's uh, creating his green lightsaber yep. and Return of the Jedi in the cave. You're like, oh, this is, a, this is amazing. Yeah. And, um, those are kind of the bits like you want to see in the future, right? Skywalker, right. like just those little extra things that were cut out. And you're like, yep. that was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And, right. um, you know, uh, it, part of me is being the pessimist and just like, we're never going to see it. But I'm hoping, you know, that one day we could see some deleted scenes because it's, with any movie like this, especially with the cadence that they're doing, it's just like, why wouldn't you be proud of some of the things that didn't make the scene, yeah. you know, or like didn't make the cut and right. just show it. Cause a lot of, you know, again, it, with any production, it could be a fully fleshed out scene, yeah. scene with special effects, or it could just be, you know, kind of that green screen where the, this is kind of what we had framed out, but yeah. it didn't work for the story, you know? Yeah. So, I'm right there with you. I like that's, to see. <laughs> I like to see all the bits, even the stuff that got let on, left on the cutting room floor. And, and to that point about the scene from Return of the Jedi with Luke constructing his saber, and also to you know to see that Vader is calling out to him through the Force, you know, and Luke is kind of under this constant mental assault from Vader, who is trying to uh, turn him. That that impacts how you watch the rest of that film. And um, there are some. But like you said, very small clips can have a very big impact on the final film, uh, and there is value yeah. to those, right? As opposed to some things there, that... There, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you could end up with a five-minute clip that has nothing to do um, with the film. So I could do an entire episode, I swear. Uh, this is a total aside, but if anyone has bought the um, the digital edition and you want to really watch something special, go in and watch the legacy of... Um, of the Skywalker trilogy, the two hour plus kind of making of segment. And they're talking with John Williams, who has that cameo in the cantina scene and all are the droid workshop. Sorry. Um, every item that surrounds him is a callback to one of his 50 plus Oscar nominated films. That's amazing. And it is just when you watch them walk through it, it's mind blowing, and you could tell that it was super touching to him. Um, and that's the stuff I love about Star Wars. It's it's the little things that maybe you don't see until the twentieth time you watch it, <laughs> right? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, it took me forever. Like one of the things that I would say, even in the original trilogy, like one of the one of the craziest things with the New Hope is like Luke Skyhopper is parked right behind him. Yeah, and if you're not paying attention, you know, he's playing with a model, right. but the real thing is like <laughs> right behind him. You're like, dude, that's a skyhopper. You know, it's like, it's like one of those things that you watch it and you know, that's, yeah. that's a beauty about star Wars. You see those things. Unfortunately, you know, sometimes in the film, they put such dedication into it, but they don't, they don't do those kind of like little slow shots where you can kind of pick out like, Oh, this is, right. you know, you have to, 
pause it now and be like, oh, okay, there, there's this. And this. Which is super hard to do with the digital editions. That's one of the things that drives me a little batty about it because it's uh, mm. it chunks instead of smoothly scrolling. So yeah, oh, it is so hard to find the the little details with that stuff. But yeah, right. Yeah, uh, you know, and again, I, I will say this that you know, as much as I as I as I love the Knights of Ren and the potential that they represented, I agree that they were not used to the the extent that they could have been uh, within the films and. I'm kind of of two minds about the fact that you have to rely on a lot of this external material to really get the most out of some of these characters that show up in the films. While I love the visual dictionaries, while I love the comics and the books and everything, and I know uh, we were kind of chatting uh, in a Twitter group today and you were talking about the fact that you have read, you know, everything from Legacy and... (laughs) Sorry, yeah. 90% of everything from Legacy and all the new stuff <laughs> yeah, that's coming yeah. to canon. And I'm the same way. Um, it shouldn't have to be that you've read everything in order to, to enjoy the film or to, to get the basic understanding out of the film. And I feel like that's kind of a disconnect that needs to be addressed. The other side of that coin is for people like us who are content producers for podcasts, this is this is why I started this. I mean, I want to be able to take people who don't have time to read all this stuff and say, right, this is exactly, why these characters exactly. are cool, and this is why maybe, you know, right. you want to look into them a little yeah, bit more. Absolutely. And hopefully yeah, people are going to... Like, yeah. Hey, man. Yeah. Sorry. It's just like, you know, like, hey, man, I need, I need all the little minutia, you know, just to get that information from the visual dictionary right. or these books. Um, get into the heads and hey, again books are designed to get in the headspace what does that look like what are they feeling and obviously you don't get to portray that in a movie and that makes it great you know yeah. or you get these side characters and stuff like that that you want a little bit more information on that's where you have comics and books to supplement but unfortunately and obviously with the the c2e2 release of the book early that just hit everything and just like oh, okay that person clone now his you know, Bray's father's a clone. You're just, okay, what's going on? You know, and like that's some of the stuff. Um, unfortunately, now that you hear that, you can kind of see that in that scene, but it's not, you know, again, like it goes back to that early thing. It, right. I, you don't need a Rick Oli, you know, super explanation. It's just, right. you know, it's a, it's a planet made out of a city and, right. you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, uh, there's a landing plan now, but you need you need a little bit some exposition to kind of fill that in. Or, yeah. hey, dummy, look at this thing right here. <laughs> that will help you tell. You know, without saying Emperor's a clone, you get a little bit more. You know. Everyone has to have like the Rise of Skywalker for dummies on the seat in the theater when you go to sit down. <laughs> Here's your homework before the film. You got to read this, this, and this, right? Right, right. Um, right. Are we uh, okay? A dyad? Yep. Okay. Are we talking about Bounce of the Force? Are we going to figure that out? What's this yin yang thing? Like, okay, yep, yep, yep. yep. You know, like. <laughs> Uh, you know, the funny thing is, is I don't have a problem with the Emperor or uh, Ray's father being clones because, again, I, I was the one who was reading the Dark Empire comics after the original trilogy, and that was kind of the Emperor's backup plan in case he got killed. He had clones being grown, and he was just going to keep hopping into a new clone every time he got killed, and he was going to essentially be immortal. And, um, you know, that made for an interesting story arc. Plus, we already know that cloning is kind of his game. Uh, from the prequels, right. so it's not right, right. He manufactured yeah. a war, yeah. You know, so. 
but clearly with the character of Snoke, you know, he needs to work on uh, Force-sensitive clones, which is another thing that we uh, that we hear about within uh, some of the Star Wars Legends content. There were issues with cloning Force-sensitives, mm. and so there's there's precedence for all that stuff, but the casual fan's right. not going to get it in the in the course of a film, right? Yeah, it's honestly it's super funny that you mentioned that, or not funny, but like ironic that like a lot of the things that Timothy Don established in that original EU, they use so many different concepts from that into all the new stuff, and yeah. it, it's crazy. He doesn't get enough credit for you know again have that open slate after Return of Jedi, yep. and a lot of the things that he used, um, we see you know um, in Rebels. Um, you know, we, we see, we see Thrawn, yep. that's his character, you know, a little tweaked, but you know, there's a lot of things he had, uh, in, he had a Jedi that was cloned that was mad, like went mad because he, he realized he was a clone, but he's force sensitive and he was cloned after Obi-Wan Kenobi. And, you know, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, and like, <laughs> and like, and then again, we have some of the stuff that you mentioned with like dark empire right whole another thing that was really well done with dark horse and yep. pretty much what the rise of skywalker was oh, yeah and a lot so. a lot of it um and, and you know to your point about timothy zahn he has kind of become the author version of what ralph mcquarrie is in terms of concept art mm. um he is mm -hmm. the person yes. who yes. and and again Anyone who has an interest in, in looking at anything related to Star Wars, I would definitely recommend the making of books uh, by Jonathan Rensler. Um, there's certainly like a Bible to a lot of people who have a, a deep love of Star Wars and kind of understanding the making, but you get to see so much of the concept art that Ralph McQuarrie did, and you look at it and you go, oh my God, I remember this from the sequel film or from this prequel film or yeah, from yeah. Clone Wars or from... so the amount of that content that has been touched on at one point or another and the amount of the best parts of some of the Star Wars legend stuff that has been resurrected. Um, yeah. It's cool to see that they're not throwing things completely away. Uh, no, Ralph, Ralph McQuarrie, very similar to um, like the emperor. He, yeah. he will never die. That no. influence will always stay in Star Wars. And I, I told this story on conversations, but we had, um, we had a, a museum exhibit. It was from the Smithsonian. It came to Chicago in 2000, and some they had some of Ralph McQuarrie's unused art in this dis display. And one of them was Vader's castle. And I kid you not, I lost. I remember it was like ingrained. It was lava. There was a throne. There was like all this stuff. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like the most amazing thing. And it was like just three little pictures, right? right. And this whole big thing. And when I saw that, like, actually visualize them, Rogue One, I'm just like, oh, my gosh, you know, like, <laughs> and like, like, it just recircled back, like, oh, my gosh, they, you'll totally use that. So um, Ralph McQuarrie is definitely, you know, that silent partner that his work and his look is all ingrained even in the sequel trilogy yes. and uh, it's fantastic yeah i could not agree more so i think that's going to wrap it for us for the knights of ren i think we're both in agreement that we would have loved to see them uh take a bigger part in the sequel trilogy but um i am thankful that we are getting some of their story fleshed out within these kylo ren comics it's only a four comic arc um, so even if you're not a huge comic fan, if you want to know a little bit more about them, um, you can go out and pick them up on, on Kindle. They're super cheap. 
um, or at your local comic book shop, I certainly would always recommend, uh, you know, going in and, and uh, keeping local businesses strong. So check them out there. Uh, Todd, I am very much looking forward to having the chance to come on your show next week. Um, so yes. this is the perfect front end of that. Uh, and thank you so much for making time to, uh, to come on and talk Knights of Ren with me tonight. Absolutely, man. Well, okay, one last question about yes. Knights of Ren. Yes. Would you want to see them, uh, again, we have this opportunity with Disney+, Plus. Is that something that you would be interested to see um, them fleshed out like in a Disney Plus series? I could certainly see them doing that. I mean, like you said, they are such detailed um, and kind of fully fleshed out characters uh, that they you could have storylines just written about that. Um, and it and it's a great way to make them a little bit more prevalent in the minds of people who aren't going to be the, the yeah. comic book fans or whatnot. Um, to me, Disney Plus is the great platform for a lot of things. I've often said that um, I don't know that, that Solo 2 is ever going to happen in a theater, but I could totally see them doing Solo 2, 3, whatever else they want to do on Disney Plus. Um, yeah. And I think it would be awesome. Yeah, I agree. I mean, again, because they're faceless characters in a sense yeah. at this point, they could still do it, <laughs> you, yeah. know? you know, or, you know, you see like similar to what you're saying with the comics is like you can kind of see them pass down, you know, like if it's a generational thing, too, it would be kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. I actually thought that one of the one of the cool things uh, that they had done within the comics was one of the mission they went on was to steal something called the Mind Splinter. Um, and again, that goes all the way back. It's it's kind of a reference to Splinter of the Mind's Eye, which was originally going to be maybe the second movie. Um, yeah, that's Star Wars 2. Yeah, it, it, it could have. Well, Star Wars 5, whatever you want to call it. Um, <laughs> thankfully, they didn't because, uh, yeah. Luke and Leia, Luke and Leia would have never come back from some of the things that happened in that book, but uh, <laughs> they had apparently had a really close family. But you know, just just to see references like that that are just stuck in there for the the super fans, um, it's just fun to fun to catch that stuff. So absolutely awesome. Well, thank you again so much for coming on, and uh, we'll be talking to you next week on your show. Absolutely. Can't wait, Rob. So again, huge thank you to Todd Hoffman from WSTR Galactic Public Access. Definitely go check out his podcast. Uh, the entire group over there at WSTR is awesome. Uh, we did the live stream with them uh, at ScarifCon 2019 last November, uh, which you can find out on Scarif Podcasts uh, YouTube channel. So definitely go check that out as well. And I did just want to say uh, to all you folks, wherever you may be listening, uh, certainly with the coronavirus floating around out there, um, we have a lot of people who are under quarantine who have been uh, advised to kind of steer clear of large groups, social distancing, all that stuff. Uh, and we do uh, our thoughts and prayers go out to all of you out there who are uh, dealing with that. Uh, or even if you're just kind of in fear of, of what that may cause, uh, just remember that, uh, you know, do the best you can keep yourself safe, keep your family safe, and uh, just be kind to your to your fellow uh, individuals out there. And uh, we're all going to get through 
through this. So in the meanwhile, I think a lot of us are going to have a lot of extra time on our hands. Uh, we're not going to be able to get out and do some of the things that we usually do. I know for me personally, I've got some audiobooks that I want to read. And I certainly always love listening to uh, some of these other great content creators that we've got out there, be it on uh, either podcasts or on YouTube videos. So definitely take the time to, uh, to delve into some of those great podcasts, some of those great YouTube videos out there, uh, whether it's Star Wars or, or something else, and make sure that you let those folks know that you appreciate the content they're putting out there, because it is certainly one of the things that motivates us to, to do this every week. So uh, again, if you have any ideas about what you'd like to hear kind of in the interim, uh, Star Wars topics, things that you want to talk about, please give us a shout out. Uh, you can find us either on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Pinterest at JTA Podcast. Most often I'm on Twitter. Uh, so certainly uh, reach out to me there. We have our email address, uh, jtapodcast at gmail.com. And certainly our voicemail, uh, which you can reach out on 201-746-5827. That's 201-746-JTAP. And I'm happy to play any of those voicemails on the air. So if you're looking to get on the podcast with your thoughts about any of these topics, definitely shoot us a message on our voicemail. So in the meanwhile, if you would please get the get the information about this podcast out to friends or coworkers, anyone you may have that might be interested in Star Wars, that would be greatly appreciated. Really enjoy putting content out there and looking to grow the show. So with that being said, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up for this week. Please stay safe, stay healthy, and may the force be with you. Mm-hmm.